that I grew up in, when the pastor or somebody comes to the front to preach, they would say, God is good. And the congregation would say, God is good. God is good. Oh, man, I always wondered now that I actually have started to preach whether they did that because they were nervous. <laughs> like, did they do that just so that they can make them feel, feel a bit comfortable in the front or something like that? Hey, you said they do. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. God was so good. Um, I, was, I suppose everyone knows me except the one new visitor. For the one person that doesn't know me, my name is Jamie, um, and I work full-time at the church with the student ladies, and I'm so excited to be sharing the word with you today. Um, it's always such a privilege to be able to bring the word of God. It's a privilege and an honor. It's something that... We mustn't take lightly because it's not just, ooh, you know, let's just throw some scriptures together and preach kind of thing. It's really um, to trust the Lord for what he wants to show us today and what he wants to impart today. Um, but before we start this, I just want everyone to close their eyes. While we were worshiping earlier, I just sense that that God just wants to just wants you to experience his pleasure over yourselves. So I just want you to fix your eyes upon the Lord and just allow yourself to just experience God's pleasure over you. That it's not about what you can do, not about how well you do in your courses, not about how well I can preach in the front, but just that the Lord is pleased with you. That he delights in you, in who you are before anything you can bring to him. Just experience that pleasure. Just receive, just, just receive God's love this, this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your pleasure over every single one of these people here. Every single one of your people, God. Thank you for every man and every woman, Lord. Thank you that you love them, Lord. That you love them so dearly, God. Thank you that you delight in each one of them, Lord. Thank you that there's nothing they can do, Lord, that, that can make them earn your love or make you love them any less than you do, Lord. So, God, we thank you for your delight and your pleasure over us today and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so... Today, guess what? I'm going to talk about the Word. <laughs> um, so, you know, especially on campus, at your workplace, actually wherever you go, you are bombarded with some kind of truth, some kind of ideology, some kind of belief system. Sometimes it's the same as yours. Sometimes it's maybe a little bit different from yours. Sometimes it's completely the opposite to what you believe. There's always some sort of truth that... or there's always this thing as, but it's your truth, and this is my truth. There's no, there's no the truth, right? I mean, I'm sure on campus and at work, it's always like, no, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and we'll be happy here, right? We'll have this nice, easy, gray area where we can all live in tolerance and peace and kind of thing, right? Um, but there is the truth, right? It's not your truth and my truth. There is the truth, um, so today I'm going to talk about the Word of God. I'm going to talk about the truth, 
But before I start, I'm just going to ask my mom, Armand's mother, but she's my mom too, you know, um, to share just a little bit about what the Word of God has meant in her life. Like I think one of the people that I've known for a while that really values and loves the Word of God is this woman standing right here. So I'm just going to ask her to share a little bit of what the Word of God means to her. Okay. Um, I'm Miranda Horton. Um, okay. Um, how was my life before I encountered the Word? There was a season in my life where I took comfort in food, lived through our children's successes, my own strategies. As a re result, I did not know what my identity was. I was depressed, attempted suicide, no hope, weighing 149 kilograms. That is what I look like. How did I encounter the word? I came to the end of myself, where I realized that I have no strength to overcome. In my own strength, I can do nothing, only Jesus. And then as um, I went for a gastric bypass in 2005, and as after I was recovering after the operation, the Lord dropped in my spirit and bring to memory Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Where I realized the promises, the encouragement, and above all, his unconditional love in Psalm 23. And then how is my life different now? What happened from that moment, God and I started this wonderful journey of healing, restoration, and today I experience the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is my strength, He is my hope, He is my joy, and I am victorious through Him, and that um, all the faith in the world I have is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in that I can walk in victory. Amen. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so if you have your Bibles with you today, you can open to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. Thank you, Mandita. <laughs> um, Jeremiah 23. So it's a really long passage, but I'm not going to read everything. I'm just going to give you a little bit of context to what Jeremiah 23 is about. So this is, obviously, Jeremiah was a prophet in his time. Um, and I think he was a prophet in the southern kingdom, if I'm correct, uh, which was Judah. And um, he was speaking to the pastors or to the shepherds and to the prophets of his time, and he was actually rebuking them. Um, he was saying, like in verse 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So you'll see this progression in the whole of um, chapter 23 where he's speaking out against the lies. He's speaking out against um, the shepherds and the prophets not speaking the truth, kind of like prophesying what they feel like, kind of prophesy prophesying from the flesh, kind of prophesying and speaking into what people want to hear. Um, you know, that, you know, that scripture that says the itching ears, that kind of thing. And then he addresses specifically the lying prophets. Um, and very specifically in verse 18, it says, but which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? to see or to hear his word. Who has listened and heard his word? 
and then verse 21. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am, am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? But where I want to pick up today is in verse 28 to 29. It says, let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And this passage of scripture, and specifically this verse, uses two really beautiful, but also really intense and challenging imageries. The Jeremiah, or the Lord says, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces? So there's two things that the, that, that the Lord declares that his word is like. It's a fire and a hammer. So we're going to look at those two things and kind of just elaborate a little bit more about what God meant when he said, my word is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. So when you look at the word fire, you think of a lot of things. You can make a brine, <laughs> not a barbecue, a brine. <laughs> so a fire warms and comforts, right? That's the first thing we kind of think about a fire when we sit around a bonfire, even after you've had a brine and it's cold, it's nice to kind of sit around the fire and get warm and toasty and tell stories and things like that. So too is the word of God like that. It warms and it comforts us. Psalm 119 verse 49 to 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. How beautiful is it that the word of God comforts us. It warms our heart. Um, particularly in my life, some of you might know that I started studying at UCT, um, chemical engineering, but I stopped after my third year, and I actually got excluded. Not a lot of people know that, but it was in that time that the Word of God comforted my heart. You know, sometimes it, circumstances look like, I don't know what, like the popo hit the fan and nothing's going to come of nothing. And, you know, it just looks like dire. Like, what am I going to do? I'm hopeless. I can't change anything. I can't do anything. But it was in that time that God's Word came to comfort me. And the, this specific scripture that the Lord used to comfort me in that time, I'm sure many of you know it, is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Who knows that scripture? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to? Not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that scripture, the Word of God, as God gave me that Word, I started to stand on that Word and be comforted and warmed in my heart by the fact that even though it wasn't going as planned, even though the popo had hit the fan, the Word of God was able to give me hope and comfort in knowing that God has a plan for my life. Even though I had a plan for my life and was supposed to work out a certain way, God's promise that He said that He has a plan and a future for me comforted my heart because I trusted in Him, the one that has the plans for, for my life. Amen? And then secondly, fire provides light, right? You know, back in the day when they didn't have electricity, they used kind of like candles and, and torches with fire. 
Um, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will not be able to go anywhere without the Lord and without his word. You know, the analogy is like if you're walking in the darkness, you can't see where you're going. You're going to get bumped. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get hurt. You know, there's all sorts of things on the, you're going to be floundering around in the dark, not knowing where to go, right? Because you can't see. Even if you squint a little bit and maybe think you have night vision, that's not going to work. Um, and, it's, and also in, in the darkness, you are bound to get lost. You're bound to get lost. You're not going to know which is up and down, which is left or right. You're going to get lost. Um, so we need the word of God to direct our path and also protect us. Else we will fall and get hurt. We will get lost. We'll actually just be, actually, I, if I was in the dark and I didn't have any light, I would just sit there and cry. True. I would just sit there and cry because I would not know what to do. But the word of God gives a, is a light, the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, which means God's word illuminates the path to us, but also shows us the direction we should go. Um, it directs our paths. Just like um, Psalm 23 says, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Um, in my own life, I've seen how the word of God provides light for me. Um, in 2015, I was working, I, saw, I did like basically like a glorified internship, as some people would call it. But I was working at the church in 2015. And after that, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. Was I going to go back and complete the chemical engineering? You know, was I going to work? Um, as an engineer, you know, there were so many options. And one day I really prayed and I asked the Lord, Lord, I don't want to just have this feeling. I want a word. I want you to tell me very clearly what you want me to do next year. And so I prayed and I, and I asked the Lord and I trusted him to give me a word. And it turns out as I was praying, the Lord gave me the scripture in Micah. And then I'll never forget it. Pastor D asked me, he's like, what are you going to do next? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what the Lord is saying. And he said to me, okay, go into the kids' church, and I want you to ask the Lord for a word, and then you're going to come out and you're going to tell me. And I was like stressing now, and I was like, what, what if I get nothing? <laughs> and lo and behold, the Lord is faithful, so he did give me a word. And I went to Pastor D and I said to him, I don't know. What this, I, don't even, I don't actually know. This doesn't really give me a direction, but this is the word that I got. And, and there was a scripture in Micah. It's the same scripture in, I think, Isaiah as well. And lo and behold, it was the exact scripture that the Lord had given Posidee for the church that year. And I immediately knew the Lord wants me to be at the church. It was so clear to me that the Lord used his word to direct my path so clearly. Not fluffy and kind of like, Maybe it's this, and maybe I have a feeling. It was so like I knew it. And not only did I receive that word, I received confirmation of what God has said in my life. You know, the word of God provides light. And how do we know that we are in that light? 1 John 2, verse 9 to 11. It says, okay, that's 1 John 2, I think it's up there. Okay, yeah. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the dark, in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Walking in the light means knowing God and keeping his commandments, that is his word. 
Um, if you love God, you will keep his commandments, right? But here's the part. Sometimes we think if we keep all his laws and we keep all his commandments, then we love God. Then I can earn God's love, right? If I do all the things, if I do the tick tick boxes, if I go to church, if I go to small group, finish all the encounters, all that is very good and you should do it. But it doesn't mean that that's going to earn you God's love. The love comes first. First, we are perfected in God's love. That is made complete in his love. And then the obedience to follow the commandments and and the word of God comes as a natural overflow to what God has already done in your life. Because if you love someone, if you love the Lord, that obedience will come naturally because you want to do what pleases that person. You want to do what pleases the Lord. You don't um, do what, yeah, you don't do all the commandments and then you know, you receive the love. You receive the love first. And that is the, the, the kind of the fuel that makes you actually want to live a holy life, that makes you want to live a life that is pleasing um, in the sight of the Lord, that makes you want to do the things that, that excites the Lord, that makes him excited, that you want to pray, you want to spend time in your word because you know you've been perfected in his love. We mustn't strive or try and strive and to keep all the commandments and then because we're bound to fall short. Really? If we look at the Ten Commandments in our own strength, we will not be able to, to, to fulfill all that by ourselves. We need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is to not focus on keeping the commandments, but rather focus on being perfected in God's love and being completed in God's love. Because, um, like I said, the obedience will come as an overflow. And this is how you know if you're walking in the light or not. Do you love your brother? Do we love our brother (laughs) or sister? (laughs) What does it look like to love your brother? There's one famous scripture that says that. It's like, I think it sums up everything. It sums up helping them, seeing their need, um, seeing if they need a lift or do they have enough food. All of that is encapsulated in this one scripture in John 15 verse 13 that says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. So how do we know we love our brother? That we lay down our life for him. And even in saying that, even when it comes to loving our brother, it doesn't mean now I must strive to love my brother. You know, I must do all I can to love my brother. I need to meet his need. I need to do all these things so that you can walk in the light. It doesn't work like that. Walking in the light again, means being perfected. Because if I know that God loves me, it's an overflow of that love to lay down my life for you, right? Because you're my brother. It shouldn't be this thing that I have to continuously strive doing. No, I need to love Mandisa. I need to always be there for her. If I love the Lord and the Lord loves me, that love for Mandisa, that laying down my life for Mandisa becomes a natural overflow of what God has already done in my life. It's not a thing, now I need to do, 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 right? Amen? <laughs> Very quiet. <laughs> Thank you. And then thirdly, what does fire do? It purifies. Let's look at Zechariah 13, verse 9. It says, This third I will bring through the fire. I will, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at this, this, this passage of Scripture and we look at refining and we look at testing and we think it's suffering. It's not always suffering. 
Sometimes suffering happens, and that also produces a refining in us. But God doesn't cause suffering so that you can be refined. Can I say that again? God does not cause suffering in your life so that he can produce gold in you. That's not God's character. That's a lie. But when we are suffering, God's in his word, he says he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So this whole thing about I need to suffer for the sake of Christ, and yes, you need to suffer for the sake of Christ sometimes, but that suffering is not going to produce the gold in you primarily. It is the word of God that refines us into that gold. Testing does not equal trials always. Even though in our Christianity, we know Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, the gold, in in the process of, of refining gold, the gold was refined until all the impurities were out. The testing wasn't there to purify the gold, but to prove that there was no impurities and there was actually gold. Does it make sense? The testing is not to prove, to, 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 the testing wasn't there to purify the gold, but to prove that there was indeed gold. Um, and it is the word of God that purifies us. Um, <laughs> you know, just an example from my life, the, like, actually, let me say this first. Sometimes the word is not always comfortable when it comes to refining and purifying. Sometimes the word, actually, if the word of God doesn't challenge you, then I think you're reading it a bit wrong. <laughs> because the word of God is challenging. It cuts you in your heart and you, you respond and it changes your life. Um, it says even in that scripture in the beginning, this third I will bring through the fire. Meaning that sometimes it will be uncomfortable when the word of God comes. When we read scripture, it is going to cause that little bit of like, I don't want to do this, you know, kind of thing. Um, so when my parents got divorced, um, my one aunt specifically played a really big role in terms of, um, in terms of my dad. And so basically my parents' divorce was really messy. Like it wasn't smooth sailing kind of thing, just sign the papers and kind of move on with our lives. It was really messy. And my aunt played a massive role in that. Like she, she's obviously not saved and she kind of like co-worked coaxed my dad into like going after my mother, like really like vindictive and manipulative and things like that. And through that whole process, I started to develop such a like, I won't say hatred because hate is a really hectic word, but such a a resentment, like my heart was so hard hard towards her. I didn't want to have anything to do with her. I didn't want to see her. I didn't want to call her. I didn't want to do anything. Like if even the thought of her, if my dad even mentioned her on the phone, I would be like, no. And so I really struggled. And obviously the word of the Lord says you must forgive and all of these things. But forgiveness is hard. <laughs> and I remember one day so clearly. And I was like, in my head, it's so weird. I thought, no, it's fine. I can carry on my whole life having this unforgiveness. Because it's not really unforgiveness because they really deserve it. And, you know, they did all these bad things and whatever. So I can just carry on my life and just not have anything to do with them for the rest of my life. And then I never have to deal with this unforgiveness for as long as I live. Maybe when they die, I'll go to their funeral. But that's it. You know, I never have to say I forgive you or anything like that. <laughs> and then one day, it was a, I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday. We used to have prayer room from 12 to 2 here in church. And I was sitting and I was praying and, you know, you, you wanting to hear what the Lord is saying about your life and this nice word that's going to make you feel so amazing. And the Lord said to me very clearly, I want you to forgive your aunt. And I was like, 
no, Jesus, we're just going to pass that one. And I literally like ignored it and I, and, I, and I just was like, no, I'm not doing this. I made an intentional decision to disobey. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And then Monday, prayer room again. And I was like, yeah, just worship, even facilitating worship in the prayer room, Holy Spirit. The Lord said to me, forgive your aunt. You need to forgive your aunt. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And it carried on like this for about nine to ten months. Actually, probably a year that I dodged it. And it was like, and obviously the Lord didn't come back to it every five seconds. But there was like almost every month the Lord would say to me, you need to forgive your aunt. You need to forgive your aunt. And, it, and every time it would make me feel uncomfortable. And I remember also I had a prayer room again. I realized the Lord said it to me again. And I was like really rebellious actually. I was like, Lord, I don't want to. They don't deserve my forgiveness. I don't want to forgive them because of what they did. They hurt me. They hurt my family. They weren't there for me. And I had this whole list of reasons that justified me not to forgive. Because don't we all have that list? <laughs> No, 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 this is what they did. No, 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 no. And the Lord said to me, forgive them as I have forgiven you. It was the hardest thing in my, like that word, that purifying, refining word that cuts you a little bit and grates you in places that you don't actually want to be grated. It's so good for us though. And then Armand and I got engaged and I was like, okay, this is a good opportunity. I'm going to use this now to, you know, do this forgiveness thing. And then I think I put it off for like, even like a few weeks after that. And, I, and then the, the Holy Spirit just kept reminding me about it. Like the whole time. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. Like I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you so much. You need to forgive. You need. Because in actual fact, it was eating me more than anything. Even though I want to pretend like they weren't part of my life. It was like they, it was eating away at my heart every day. Every time my mom would tell me something, it'd be like, mm, mm. you know, like maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, and eventually then, I had to, um, I called my aunt, and I was like, yay, I'm getting married, da, da, da. And then I used that as an excuse, and I just said, you know, um, it doesn't really matter what has happened. Like, you're still my family, and I still want you to be at my wedding. And lo and behold, they actually came to our wedding. And it was amazing, and the presence of the Lord was there, and I believe that they, one day they are going to get saved. I believe it. They're all Hindu. Their oldest daughter actually currently is really searching, and she's, so pray for her. I won't tell you her name, but just pray for her. She's really searching and she's really seeking after it, like the spiritual, like the, like the supernatural. You know, there's something in us that always desires something more. Like even when, even when you weren't saved, you knew that there was something more. And I believe even people that are in other religions and atheists or whatever, there's, there is that thing that draws them, that they desire that actually the supernatural. They desire that spiritual, they desire that relationship. And hallelujah, they came to our wedding. But the word that God had given me wasn't easy. That word that, that the Lord was using to purify and refine me wasn't easy. But it was the word of God that refined me and purified me. Yeah, so the key, which I didn't do, is how you respond to the word that God gives you. Are you humble enough to receive it? Do you have an open heart? Are you open to the Lord's discipline in your life? Are you open to the Lord's chastening in your life? Or you're like, this one I'll pass, Jesus. Thank you. Next time. Um, you know, 
You know, the Lord disciplines or chastens those he loves. We find that in Hebrews, I'm not sure if you slide. Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 11. But very important, again, coming back to this point, is the fact that it is the word of God that disciplines us primarily. And when we are open to the word of God, it will discipline us. It will chasten us. It will purify us and, and cause gold to be formed in us. And then fourthly, what does fire do? It burns. <laughs> I think this is probably, like currently, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, so we're going to read um, Luke 24. So basically, so I'm going to read a small part of it, but the whole of Luke 24 starts with um, Jesus, Jesus' resurrection and then goes on and ends with when he appears to the disciples. So where this passage is taking, where I'm picking up from this passage in verse 27 is where these two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. I think you say it like that. I'm not sure. They were on the road somewhere. To Emmaus and Jesus had, so they didn't know that Jesus had resurrected. So they were walking on this road all somber and sad because Jesus is dead and our heart, their, their hearts were broken, and they were like, we thought this man was going to resurrect from the dead because that's what he said, and he was going to do all these amazing things, but he's dead, and it's the third day, and what is happening? Our life is over. So this is where we pick up. Okay, so verse 27. And the beginning, oh, so, so, on, oh, so basically, so they're on the road, and Jesus appears to them, but they don't know that it's Jesus. Hey, busy minding their own business, deep in their sorrow that Jesus is dead. They're not even, they're just like focused on the fact that Jesus is dead. Why didn't he come back kind of thing? And Jesus appears to them on the road and he starts walking with them like a third companion. Just like, you know, as you're walking from here to uh, maybe Marco or Tugwell and you meet a friend and they, or even someone you don't know and you kind of all walk together. Yeah, Jesus was doing that. And so Jesus was speaking to them and he said, and he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter and then enter his glory? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, himself being Jesus. As they approached the village, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. Evening, The day is almost over. So when he went, so he, so he went in and stayed with them. But here's the part. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures? I love it. Like it's so, it says, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying, but it's quite, yeah. Their hearts burned when Jesus himself opened up the scriptures to them. <laughs> Verse 27, Jesus expounded the Old Testament to his disciples. It says, 
all scripture. At that time, they obviously only had the Old Testament. So all the scriptures that he was expounding, which means explaining or interpreting and bringing, like, you know, that, yeah, explaining, were about him. Thank you. All of it, from the entire Old Testament up until now, were all about Jesus. So therefore, when we read the Word of God, we must look for Jesus. Because the Word of God reveals Jesus. And when Jesus is revealed, ding, 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 our hearts burn. Our hearts burn with passion for Jesus and for His name and to see Him glorified. It burns. We can't make our hearts burn. We can't just sit in our room or whatever and be like, okay, let me get my heart burning now. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, obviously now Jesus, when Jesus um, went to heaven, He sent us the Holy Spirit will, will bring all things to remembrance and things like that. So when we spend time in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit opens up the Word and reveals and points to Jesus, our hearts burn because it's about Jesus. Spending time with Jesus and in His Word causes us to burn and come alive with passion for Him. I remember when I first, obviously I grew up in a Christian home, so you know, you went to church, you went to Sunday school, you heard a lot about the Word. You, sometimes, actually, sometimes I, don't even, I actually don't remember a lot of the sermons that, that they preached when I was a child because I just didn't understand actually most of the time, except in Sunday school when they told you the really nice stories about David and Goliath and all this, and then you remember those ones, right? Um, but I remember when I came in first year and we did encounter one and there was an opportunity to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit equal fire. <laughs> and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Before that point, I would read the Word of God and it was great. Yes, I was reading about Jesus and it was this amazing story and of all these amazing things that happened and how Elijah ran like super fast, like he was the flash and all these things. And it was super exciting, but it didn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't alive to me. It was just kind of reading of the way you would read anything else. And I remember when I, when, I, when I invited the Holy Spirit to come and live in my life, when I invited Him into my heart, I remember reading the Word of God after that. And it felt as if the Word of God had come alive to me. It was as if it was a person that I was reading about, not just some random black and white pages, maybe some red where Jesus spoke in the Bible that was put together. My heart began to come alive because I knew that they were talking about a real person and his name was Jesus. It wasn't like anything. So we need the Holy Spirit to open up the scriptures to us, to reveal it to us. And then secondly, that scripture says, um, in verse 29, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces? So secondly, the word of God is like a hammer, which breaks. So obviously, sometimes when you hit a rock with a hammer, maybe a small hammer, a big hammer, depending how strong you are, that rock doesn't always break all the time once off, right? You sometimes have to bang it quite a few times. Also, depending on the size of the rock, if you have a little hammer, that's not going to cut it. But eventually, that hammer will also break the rock. Um, but every time you hit the rock with a hammer, it weakens it, right? Every time you hit the rock, parts of it start to disintegrate. Every time you hit the rock, parts of it start to chip away, right? Until it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. 
John 8 verse 31 to 32 says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to abide in the word of God and then only we will know the truth and, and the truth will set you free. So how often do we quote that last part of the scripture? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But there is a condition before that. It says, if you abide in my word, then truly you are my disciples. And then only you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? That's what that scripture is saying. Um, there's a place always where we need to abide in the word of God before the rock breaks when we know the truth. Abiding in the word is like that rock weakening and chipping and breaking away. But knowing the truth is when the rock breaks to pieces. Sometimes in our life, sometimes we think, you know, if I spend one day in the Word, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to change. And then after one day, nothing changes. Why doesn't anything change? You must abide, you know. And sometimes abiding in the Word until you know the truth takes one day. Sometimes it takes five days. Sometimes it takes 21 days. But once, when you learn to abide in the Word of God, in that abiding, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, which means coming from a place of abiding, you will hit that rock with a hammer and that hammer will, and the rock will break to pieces because you know the truth. Sometimes we, you know, we, it's great. What I, what I grew up doing in my life is, is taking scriptures and the truth that I, that, or scriptures and declaring it over myself until I believe it. Because sometimes, even though truth is truth, irregardless of whether we believe it or not, sometimes we can't, we, we are struggling to believe it. We know it's there. Jesus says this, perfect love casts out all fear. You know, there's no condemnation for those who are, Christ, who are in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we read those scriptures, but we don't know it. It doesn't become like truth to us. And the only way that those, those scriptures and those truth can become truth to you is by abiding in that word. And once you begin to abide in it, there will come a moment when it will click for you. No one will tell. I can tell Sipukazi until I'm blue in my face, you know, perfect love casts out all fear, perfect love casts out fear. But if you don't believe that perfect love casts out all fear, is it going to cast out all fear? No. You need to know the truth. And then only the truth, when you hit the rock with the hammer, will break to pieces. But what does it mean to abide? To abide means to remain, to stay. It comes from the word abode, which is to reside. Basically, what it means to abide is to live, breathe, eat the word of God daily. I'm not talking one scripture here, one scripture here, maybe wait one week and then we'll read another scripture here. I mean daily, spending time in the word, not in like a religious way, but anything that is good for us is worth spending time on. Sometimes I don't feel like reading the Word of God, but I know in my head, I, I know that if I spend time with God, and if I spend time in the Word, it's going to be good for me. I'm, I'm going to get out of this feeling of, of being hopeless and in despair because I know what's on the other side of reading the Word of God. And it might not be day one, it might not be day two, but I know that the Word of God is going to, going to speak truth into my life. I mean, spending one day is good, but it's not going to break the rock. It is also not abiding. We need to spend time daily and consistently in the word of God. Hallelujah. And then finally, well, last scripture. And then, let's see. It's 
funny when I was before we came to Peter, I was like, I never I was actually saying to blessing, I never time how long my sermon is going to be. The first one I did was short. The second one I did was super long. So I was like, Holy Spirit, we'll just see where this one ends. <laughs> um, so we're looking at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 7. And I think this is the perfect scripture that kind of encapsulates and summarizes the usefulness of scripture. Um, so before we go to that scripture, so the book of, there's this 1 Timothy and, and 2 Timothy. And so Timothy was one of, was Paul's disciple. So basically Paul was writing these letters to Timothy. So Timothy was like this really young minister, preacher. He just maybe got sent to plant a church. He's fresh out of Bible school and he knows his word. He knows the truth, but he just needed some encouragement. And so Paul being the good discipler and father that he was to Timothy, he writes these two letters to encourage him, him in, in what he was doing preaching of the truth and staying and abiding in the word and what the power of the word can do. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 says, all scripture is breathed, breathed, is God breathed, my bad. Let's say that again. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Maybe thoroughly equipped for 50%, 10%, no. He's saying maybe thoroughly equipped for every good work, every good work. All scripture is God be, which means God is the author of the Bible. In case you didn't know that, God is the author of the Bible. It was written by men who are under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This means that it's not just a bunch of scriptures randomly put together because somebody woke up one morning and decided to write some things down and boom, we got the Bible. No. <laughs> it is God who orchestrated, put it together, gave it, wrote it, everything. It's all Jesus. It's all God there. It's nothing of man. Um, and if you want to find out more about that, about the validity of scripture and the, and the histor history of scripture and things like that, come and do Bible School 2 next year. There's a module called Holy Scriptures that will blow your mind into how real and how valid the Word of God is, unless you, in case you had any doubts. But also, there's lots of scriptures, and you can also speak to my lovely husband, Arman. He can apologize all of that for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so no one just made it up. It also implies that there is life in the Word of God, because it says that all scripture is God-breathed as in from himself, which means it has life. Um, it's alive, man. It has God in it. It's not dead. It's real. It's alive. It has Jesus. When we read it, we're not reading a dead book that some historian wrote or some buddy in Greco-Roman world wrote and maybe there's only like one copy lying of it. It's the word of God. It's real. God wrote it. It's his we didn't come up with that. You're not so smart to come up with all of that. <laughs> okay. But coming back to 2 Timothy, we, can, we, we will never be able to interpret the word of God correctly without having the right attitude towards scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, The man without the spirit does not accept the things which come from the spirit of God. Um, he may understand the words but reject their truthfulness and authority. So what does it mean to have a right attitude towards Scripture? Anyone? 
I'll give you the answer. Respect, I like that. Anyone else? Faith, yes, without faith it is impossible to please God. The right attitude begins with believing that the Bible is fully inspired by God and authoritative for life and doctrine. Let's, let's all say that together. The Bible is fully inspired by God and authoritative for life and doctrine. Mm-hmm. To interpret the scriptures correctly, you must share God's purpose for it. And the purpose of scripture, as we can see in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, is to equip the man of God or the woman of God for every good work. That God, as another scripture says, but I don't actually know what the reference is, for every good work that the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do. I'm not sure where that scripture is, so I'm sorry. You can find it in your Bibles when you go home tonight and you read the word. <laughs> um, the word of God is useful when we use it as the author intended for us to use it. What I think a lot of people say that we must understand the there and then because we need to understand that the Bible was written in a specific context, in a specific time, with a specific type of people, in a specific culture. So we need to understand um, the there and then, as in what was happening then, why, was, why were the people being addressed like that? Why was Jesus talking? Why was he using these analogies? Why didn't he use this analogy? It's very important. And then we can understand how to apply that word in the here and now. Sometimes I think in our, in, 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 in our charismatic Christianity, we're very quick to take one or two scriptures and then just apply it to our lives. Like one verse here, one verse here. But that's not actually how the Bible was written. The Bible was written in context, which means that one verse that you took out um, is in the context of that chapter. And that chapter is in the context of that whole book in the Bible, whether it's Jeremiah, Psalm, whatever. And that book in the Bible is in the greater context of how the Bible was written. And we need to understand that, that, we, that we need to, we can't just choose what we want and kind of apply it how we want. We need to trust the Lord and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is faithful and He will do this. And he, the, Jesus said that He will bring all things to remembrance. We can trust the Holy Spirit to, to, to impart to us what God intended this word to say. What He, wants, what he wrote when He wrote this, when He inspired it to be written. Um, we can't just, depending on how we feel or depending on our circumstances, just take anything and make it fit. Don't know how it works. We have to know what God intended uh, when in those scriptures. So it's very important not to just read. Sometimes I love Bible apps because it's so great to um, encourage you to read the word. It's quickly on your hand. But sometimes they just give you one verse in their verse for today. Maybe next time you read a verse for the day, go and read what the chapter says. Go and read maybe what the what the what the book, the whole book says. And then eventually you can read the whole Bible. But learn, learn to, when you read Scripture, when you study Scripture, to see what God is saying completely, not just what we feel like it. Okay, so coming back to how does God's Word achieve His purpose for equipping His people? So we can see in that Scripture there is, can go to the next one? There's four things that that Scripture talks about. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um... So teaching relates to right beliefs. Teaching, that is, teaching in the ways of God. It teaches us about God, His heart, what He is like, um, and things like that. Example, what, like, for example, um, 
we should believe that Jesus is God, right? Because he's God. Then we, then we, scripture actually teaches that. In 2 Peter 1 verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus. Jesus is God. Okay? Teaching. Secondly, rebuking relates to wrong behavior. Example, the Bible, or, well, the Bible clearly actually tells us what's right and wrong. There's actually no gray areas in a lot of things, but also we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, and there's some things that are not like set black and white that you need to trust the Holy Spirit for, but generally the, Holy, the, the Bible clearly shows us what's right and wrong. John 5 verse 27 says, you have, heard what it, you, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This means that if you are committing adultery or any other biblically wrong behavior, one should be humble and open to receive the rebuke and to conform to his word. Obviously, we can't conform just because we try to conform. We actually need to do it by the grace of God and trusting the Lord to help us to empower us to be able to live that right behavior, right? Um, and obviously, 